Branding Badass, and welcome to Branding Matters, a podcast I created and host to help you create brand equity. Branding Matters is brought to you by Genumark, one of North America's most trusted branded merch makers for over 40 years. Branded merchandise is one of the best ways to create brand awareness. Whether with your team or your fans, there's no better way to show your appreciation, connect with your audience, and build community than combining thoughtful design with great products that tell your brand story. When you partner with Genumark, you get more. More personalized service, more creativity, more innovative solutions, and more importantly, you get it all from a talented team of branding experts who have the experience and know-how to make your job easier and best of all, more fun. From promotional products, custom uniforms and clothing, to sports co-branding, web stores and warehousing, Genumark makes it happen. And being ISO certified, you can rest assured ethical sourcing and sustainability are front and center. Genumark is big enough to matter, but small enough to care. So if you're looking for the right partner to help you create brand awareness, email brandingmatters at genumark.com to start your next project today. That's brandingmatters at G-E-N-U-M-A-R-K dot com. My guest today is a real powerhouse. Her name is Amanda Russell, and she's an award-winning brand strategist fitness icon, author, keynote speaker, and former model. She's also a PhD and has taught at some of the top schools in the world, including Northwestern's Kellogg School of Business, London Business School, Harvard, Wharton School of Business, and the University of Stockholm Business School. Amanda is also an advisor to top global brands, including Lamborghini, Cedars-Sinai, and Lionsgate. And she speaks around the world on influence and the future of marketing. Her latest book, The Influencer Code, is the official resource to influencer marketing for college programs worldwide. I invited Mana to be a guest on my show today to discuss the truth about influencer marketing. I wanted to learn about the myths surrounding the term influencer, and I was curious to get her point of view on the difference between attention and influence. I am so thrilled to have you here today, Amanda. Welcome to Branding Matters. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to have you. So where are you right now? It looks beautiful. I can see behind you. I am currently in Austin, Texas. I've, I've been all over, but yes, I'm calling Austin my newest home. And so you're originally from a small town in Canada, and I'm in Canada too. What small town are you from? I am from North Bay. You're from North Bay. Okay. So I do my research before I bring guests on and I learned about you and your high school and your gym teacher had a really, really profound effect on your life and basically changed, I think, the trajectory of your life. Can you share about what she, how she changed your life so dramatically? She did. And it's ironic that you mentioned that because she just, just retired this past week and I, I did a video for her retirement for the whole athletic banquet, like she was kind of said, that they played at her uh, at the end of the athletic awards. Uh, Tell her how she changed the lives for so many, but for me especially. And um, she was the one that introduced me to the ideas of a bigger world. So, you know, I had never really left the square radius a couple hours, my, my hometown. And didn't even know I'd never been to the U S I didn't know what 
what was out there, even what the opportunities were. And she uh, had, she just gave me confidence and inspiration. She encouraged me to join the running team, the cross country running team. And I remember being insulted almost and saying like, why would you, like, that's the team that you don't, the only team that you don't have to try out for. Is that true? Yeah. It's the only team you don't have to make. You just like everyone else just goes, but she saw something she, and she changed the narrative around it. And she, she said, you, you have potential in that. And it's this non, it's the only sport that's not subjective. A time, you know, if you run track or a time on the track or a time in a distance is a time anywhere in the world. And, you know, you, you're built for running. Basically what she was saying was I wanted to play basketball. And she was like, I was, I don't, apparently I don't think I was that good. And I had no chance. And so instead of saying, you know, you're going to be tough from the team and you have no future, do something where there is a potential in a future. And that's when I, she told me about this word scholarship and that the U.S. had these different divisions and that I, you know, if you run certain times, you could get a full athletic scholarship to these division one schools and get your whole academic career paid for and you could travel. And I remember the moment she would use the term scholarship because it was a foreign word and I didn't know what it meant. And I became, I would say, obsessed and that's been a theme through my career is obsession I'm in my life I became obsessed with I wanted to get this what did I have to do and the thing about running which is such a beautiful metaphor for life and for business is that the goal is very defined and the training plan may differ and change along the way like a business plan does but the ultimate goal is usually this it still stays the same and that's much bigger picture than a lot of what people confuse as objectives. So she became, and to this day, she's very much a dear friend and confidant and, and mentor. So it really taught me the importance of who you surround yourself with and how one person can make such a difference. So can you, what's her name? Can you share it? Big shout out. Of course, Dr. Lori, v- Dr. Lori, sorry, I'm, so I'm Professor Land, uh, Miss Lori Vesnaff. Lori Vesnaff? Yes, and I will. And now that she's got the shout out, she will have to hear. She will have to listen to this podcast. Yeah, definitely. Well, cheers to her because clearly she had such a big impact on your life. But here's the thing: I also read. So I thank you for sharing all that. But then I also read that you hate running, and I found that was really interesting. Is that true? <laughs> correct. Very correct. I hate running, and I I hated it every single day of my life. Uh, I like the feeling after, but I, that's why I think it's such a farce when they tell especially young kids, like you have to find your passion and be passionate about what you do, because how could you possibly even know what you're passionate about unless you've tried and done everything? And I think there's a really big difference between following a passion and being passionate about what you do. And I was passionate about where running was taking me. I was passionate when I started doing well. I was passionate when I got a scholarship, when it started giving me an identity, when I started feeling like I was being productive and going somewhere, you become passionate and you start to learn themes. But to follow a passion, I mean, if I were to follow my passion, I would probably be sitting on a beach drinking a really dirty martini every day. I'm really passionate (laughs) following my passion. And I also think that that's false advice because if, you know, I think it's, and I hate to call them out, but Gary Vaynerchuk says, you know, wake up every day and look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself what you want to do. And that's what you should be doing. Well, again, when it gets, if if that's what you're doing, then when it gets hard, you're going to quit. So again, I use running throughout my business, through consulting, through teaching, because running is such a great metaphor, because there are certain people that say they love running. And I mean, I applaud them. Great. I'm so happy that you just really enjoy pounding the pavement mile after mile, but it is hard. People don't run because it's hard. 
And when they do, they they're applauded for their discipline and the challenges. And there are a lot of days, most days that you don't want to get out of bed at five in the morning when it's pouring rain or it's freezing cold or it's a hundred million degrees and pound the pavement. And you're hot and you're tired and you're burned out and racing's a lot of pressure and running's a lot of pressure and it's physically uncomfortable. It's every sports punishment is running miles. So there's a reason for that. And so when it gets hard, you, you learn, it's almost like, you know, the drill, when it gets hard, you, you become so mentally strong. And I remember at a point in my college career when I was a freshman and I was groomed with the captain of our team, my very first, our very first meet, and it's super high pressure. And I had won my first race and there's no division. So it's like freshmen through seniors are all in one category. And so when you win, there's nowhere to go but down. And that was kind of a curse. And the pressure then for this next race was very, very high. And I locked myself in the bathroom in this motel room in the middle of, I don't even know, Indiana or somewhere. And was crying because I thought, Oh my God, what did I get myself into? How am I going to do this for four years? This is insane. We're training twice a day. We're on the road on a flight or on a bus every single weekend. We have no social life. Our whole life is just running and training and school. And it's so hard. And so she asked me, she's like, what, like, come out of the bathroom. What's wrong? And I said, how did you do this? And she said, well, I had the same thoughts you did when I started. And it was my dad that said to me, you can either have these thoughts, but if you do, if you question yourself every single day, then you should just quit now. But if you decide, you make the choice that you're going to be in this, then you need to turn the switch in your brain that puts any doubts, any questions, any dread in your head. And you have to turn that switch off and you have to exercise it like a muscle. And you just become machine-like and you get up and you just do it. And it doesn't matter how bad the weather is. You have to replace the negative thoughts that you are going to do this, that this is a privilege. It's a privilege to be able to be at that level to do that. So you have to decide. And that has become the best advice. And I've applied it to everything I've ever done. Um, More so in my professional life now. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing, you know, it's funny, not on the same level, but it's the same thing. I like to work out or again, I don't like to work out. I actually hate working out, but right. I do. Yeah, right. I do it like brushing my teeth every day yeah. because I know it's good for me and I like the results. But when I'm doing it, I'm not having fun. You know, I actually don't enjoy it. Right. We have to start looking at the outputs versus yeah. the year. Yeah. yeah. So what do you think the biggest thing that taught you then as far as business goes? Was it discipline or, you know, you talk about when you just can't go on anymore and making that switch? I think it's resourcefulness, honestly. And here's why. From the very beginning, you have to figure out what you want to achieve and how, what's going to help you get there. And basketball obviously was not going to help me get there, but running could. My career ended pretty uh, abruptly with an injury and, and it ended my running career forever. And I remember thinking I would, I was so crushed and felt like a failure on so many levels because at that point it was my identity. It was my career. It was my U S visa. It was everything. And I was faced with having to go back to Canada because I wouldn't, you know, have a U.S. visa anymore. And I, and in order to work, I would need a sponsor and to get corporate work experience, you need experience to get a corporate job in America. You need experience. So everyone told me, okay, go home go to Toronto, get work for a corporation there, get 10 years of experience and then go to New York. Cause I was like, well, I got to go to New York because New York is the Olympics of corporate America. And people were like, are you kidding? Like you have no work experience. 
that's crazy. And even my parents were like, you're going to lose your health insurance. If there's, you lose our support, not that they could, you know, financially, but they lost even my moral, their moral support. They thought I was nuts, but I thought I, I just have to, I just, and I've always been that way that there's, there has to be a way I will figure it out from the ground up. And there's something to be said about failure and failing on that level that removes any ego. And I felt like rather than going home with my tail between my legs and living with my parents for a while, I, I mean, I uh, honestly, I say this not because I have bad parents, but just because I was just of the mindset that I was like, I always dreamed of New York. I'd rather be homeless on the streets of New York and figure it out. And when you are hungry and when you don't have a safety net, you become resourceful on a superhuman level. And I moved to New York City. I couldn't even get a cell phone, let alone an apartment because I had no credit history. And I learned to use what you have. Stop competing on what you don't have and use what you have. Why did I go into running? Because I was built like a runner, not a basketball player. I didn't have work experience, but that's where I really understood the power of influence was I have all this. I was hired and sponsored by Nike. I had qualified for Olympic trials. I had all this discipline and work ethic. And so I, I set a goal, which is like number one in running, right? Set your goal. And mine was like, get sponsored. It doesn't matter where, just get big, big, big international firm needs to sponsor me. And I narrowed it down. And I said, like boxes of shoes to each of the firms with these personal notes and my used running Nike running shoes that said, I have all this work ethic and dedication. And you could probably imagine what it might take to be a competitive runner. They didn't know me, but they knew Nike. They knew the Olympics and they could imagine what it might take, right? So that got their attention. And the influencers were Nike and the Olympics that made, that built their trust. They were like, that's all built. We don't know her, but these are legit companies and things and events. And that at least got me some of the interviews and ultimately got me the job, my top choice firm, knowing full well that I didn't want to work there forever, but that it would be my stepping stone. And so I learned the power hindsight. So it's 2020. And because of my background, my SEO on the internet, where I, when I started a YouTube channel in, in business school and some of the different things that I've done. My profile, it looks all over the place, but there were very strategic steps that I took for a reason. And oftentimes those steps, when you have a goal in mind to the public, look sideways or backwards. And trust me, starting a YouTube channel when no one had respect for YouTube, no one half people didn't know what it was. After I had quit my consulting job and gone back to school full-time and because I couldn't work and go to school visa situation... And my parents saying, so what are we supposed to tell people? You do YouTube videos for a living? Like what, what there has to be, you have to have confidence in the direct, as long as there's a goal, the roadmap might vary, but you have to, again, shut your mind off to the naysayers. And then there has to be, that's not like jumping off a cliff and then just hoping you're going to land. There has to be, they call them in business school, KPIs, key performance indicators, Oh, it's just a fancy word for there has to be milestones that you set for yourself that you know, okay, I'm going to get to here. And if I'm not here by then, I know I need to pivot, change directions, whatever that is, change things up. And that's something that I was really good at, thanks to running and continue to apply that throughout my career. Well, and it's being strategic, right? I mean, I think that's what it's all about is every move that you do and you talk about all your things. I mean, I, is it fair to say, Amanda, that you're a type personality a little bit? <laughs> yeah, he is. But I have a professor at university. He's, uh, he's still to this day, we're still in touch. And he calls me A with 
three plus signs. Yeah, right. Which is, I I mean, yeah, I get it. I'm a type too, but I mean, that's what drives you. And, you know, and you, when you're, you're late, it sounds like you're very laser focused on your goals and that's why you're, and I think all those things eventually come together. I mean, talk about a triple threat when I was going through your bio and reading. And I just want to add on top of all that, you're gorgeous too, which is like an added plus. So no, I mean, that's very, very, of course you are. I mean, I'm the same thing. I'm sure I'm not the first person to tell you that and smart I mean I could go on and on but you know you touched on attention economy and in power of influence which are two huge things and attention is everybody's currency we're all have so much going on but I want to know what your take is on that and what's the difference between attention and influence I love that you brought that up and you know it's always funny I you can so tell when hosts have done their their research and clearly have done an incredible amount of research so it's, it's refreshing. Well, uh, I enjoy it. Honestly, I mean, that's why I love podcasting because I get to meet interesting people and learn so much about you. And that's, that's my favorite part. So yeah. So you also be a great podcast guest as well. <laughs> um, attention economy. Yeah. That's something that's always bothered me. You hear like there's Ted talks on it. There's, it's like a whole, it's a whole movement of like the attention economy and a really great example is look at all the things that we are because at almost every brand when they set any kind of marketing PR advertising objective will say they want awareness and awareness is very very different than conversion it's very different than any kind of action you can be aware of something all day long but it doesn't mean you're going to do anything and awareness could be is a stepping stone you have to be aware of something in order to be able to take action, whether that's to buy into an idea, a product or service, or a choice that you make or a thought that you have. But it's it's just a drop in the like it's just the first step. It's not having it's I and I this is what really made me think about this more than anything. I remember when I was living in Los Angeles and I had started guest lecturing at UCLA and my studio was in West Hollywood and the drive from, from West Hollywood to Westwood where UCLA is, you drive I used to drive along Sunset and which is like one big traffic jam. And I would always be stopped at this one stop where this big billboard was. And it would always announce like the the newest Netflix show or the newest movie or the newest whatever. And I was hyper when I, you know, the marketer in me is I always questioning things. And it wasn't until like one day that whatever movie it was, I forget now it was like, whatever it was that weekend, I was at brunch with some girlfriends and they started talking about this show. And I thought the frequency illusion, right? I was like, oh my God, I know that show. Why do I know that show? Oh, that billboard. And because it was the combination, it wasn't that if they were just talking about it, I probably would have been like, eh, because I'm not really a big TV person. And the billboard wasn't enough to drive me, but it was the combination of the two of them. It was like a, like a flywheel effect that drove me to do it. Because if it's just, I had attention all day long. How many impressions did that billboard get? It's no different with social media. Look at all the things that we mindlessly, we mindlessly even like, like something just to show our support or whatever. Attention is very, very different than influence. In order to influence, you have to have the trust of the audience, whether that audience is the chairman of the board and one person that's going to decide whether you get they invest in your idea or whether it's a million fans that are going to buy your record. But you have to have the trust. And more and more, like celebrities and these macro social media stars are great for awareness. But especially when it comes to higher investment decisions, investment meaning capital, but also meaning how it's going to impact your life, 
we are moving away from this idea of celebrity and macro social content creator and more people trust people in a world where technology and data and automate automation is, is becoming everything. I think we need to lean into the more human people are craving. They are starving for a human connection. So they are resonating with friends and family people that are in their close circles, their doctors, their teachers, and people online that feel like friends and family and that they trust. I love that you said that because I'm very passionate about branding because it's all about connection, right? When you are trying to inspire your audience to fall in love with your brand and motivate them to, you know, choose you first. Well, it's the same thing as when you're trying to influence someone as far as building trust. But I'm curious to know, as an influencer, how do how do they build trust with their audience, especially if they don't know them? You talk about family and friends and people that are in their lives. But what about strangers that you see on um, social media and quote unquote, like influencers, big influencers that they've never actually met in person? How do they build that trust and connection? Well, I think we need to actually like flip the model. So in order for a brand to stand out, Quality, the, the, the argument of quality is all subjective. I don't want to get into that argument because everybody, you know, and I'm actually giving a presentation in Milan next week on luxury brands. So everybody's competing on quality, right? Well, like if you think about it, luxury brands are a great example because it's nothing anyone needs and they're really all buying into the brand and people buy into a brand. They don't buy from a brand. They want to feel a connection. So how do we build trust? We have to actually start by identifying that, and this is that what brands and marketers tend to do is they go, who are our influencers? And it's the wrong question to ask. You have to start by asking, well, who is the target audience that we want to capture? And that, that could be the audience that we already have that we want to make more loyal or, or um, get more market share from them, or it could be a new audience we want to tap into. And then we have to become detectives in figuring out who do they trust? And who do they trust is where are they going for their answers to their questions, problems, needs, desires in that category? Who are they following? So a great example, I had a client who was a housewife one of the, in one of the housewife series. Oh, really? Can you say who it was? <laughs> uh, yeah, probably not because they're not going to like this one. Okay. Um, but uh, she's the OC one. She's on OC and she's got blonde hair and no, just kidding. Yeah, much. Um, <laughs> What uh, one of the battles was that, like, okay, so her lifestyle portrays a luxury brand, right? Like, always dressed to the nines, every kind of handbag, blah, 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 red label, shoes, whatever, the whole thing. So she um, would get influx of brand collaboration or influencer opportunities, and she would post, and she would literally legitimately get what they call engagement, which is such a vague term. Awareness, engagement, impressions, comments, likes, shares, off the wazoo, all about what a great outfit, the handbag. Well, she couldn't convert to save her life, meaning Mm. that no one was going to buy. Why? Because they didn't study her audience first. Her audience was not other housewives of Orange County. They weren't housewives of Everly Hills. They weren't socialites. They were women who only aspire and dream of this lifestyle of that love of her mentality, her level were not following her. They were embarrassed by her. So that's where I say you have to start with your audience. And more and more, we're leaning more towards smaller, more micro, where I think educators, experts in their field, bloggers, it's different than it even was just a few years ago, where Chanel could have somebody like Lily Rose Depp, who 
they were trying to appeal to her Gen Z audience. She epitomized the luxury lifestyle of Gen Z and she's beautiful and she was chic and she traveled and this aspirational lifestyle. But that was a couple of years ago. Now, people in that space are tired. They're, they're, they're burned out of seeing the Instagram life, of seeing the celebrity, of the macro influencer with the perfect life. And now we're more attracted to the girl next door that seems like us, that's struggling with the same things. So go to where your audience is. And the implication here is study the audience, figure out where they're going, and then build a partnership, a line. In order to gain trust, you have to build a partnership with where the trust already is. That's great. I love that. So what are some myths that are surround influence marketing? Top three. Influence equals reach, which is attention, right? Impressions, eyeballs, virality, this vague term of engagement. Um, Reach a mill, I guess, with the billboard example. That was the example for reach. Yeah. Um, Influence equals social media. People automatically assume that when I say that I teach influencer marketing, I wrote a book on influencer marketing, that they're like, how can I build my Instagram profile? How do I build my... These are tools of communication. If I told you that, like, let's say that you contacted me and you were like, you know, I'm coming to Austin. I was just wondering what restaurant you might recommend for a sushi dinner. And I tell you, I say, you know, you should really go to Uchi. And so you go and your, your friends that you're visiting say, how did you know about this restaurant? You're not going to be like the telephone influenced me. You're going to say, it was me. It was, Girl. Me. It was, yeah. it was the force behind it. We're yeah. confusing social influence has been around since the beginning of time. This term influencer marketing has created this misconception. Mm-hmm. All it is when we pay somebody to do a product placement or give them, it's called in kind, give product for exposure. That is just modern day digital advertising. Influencer marketing is a relationship. It's a mutual win-win on both sides. And then the third myth that I think is important to factor in is that influence is not universal, which is where I really struggled with my book is titled The Influencer Code. And so my courses, actually, I have a course launching here. Here's a real shameless plug. I have a Kellogg. Go ahead. Plug away. (laughs) Influencer marketing course. I got a Kellogg certificate from Northwestern which is an epic marketing program, the, the number one in the world. And it's, it's called Influencer Marketing, which was very, very controversial for a program like Kellogg. And we struggled with that because you think about it, influence is an outcome, not a job title. And to say an influencer is almost like, can you imagine if I told you I was an influencer like years ago, you would have said like, well, what do you influence? Because it's almost like saying you're God. You're like, all one all being thing. Nobody in this world that I know of anyways, yes, feel free to argue this, will have influence over every single person, over every single subject, maybe Oprah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but seriously, it depends. It is contextual. It is so contextual. It's, it's like there are so many conditions that influence and it's not just people, it's environment, it's culture, it's what's going on in the economy. It's the weather is going to influence what you do that day, um, how you're feeling. So there are so many forces. That's why it's imperative that we understand we spend the upfront time. I think of real influencer marketing as building a house versus pitching a tent. And right now, most agencies and most brands that are doing influencer marketing are just pitching tents. They're doing these one-off campaigns 
which is just social media advertising. In real influencer marketing takes a lot of upfront time. Think about the best relationships in your life where that trust is built. That doesn't just happen like this. You don't meet your spouse and say three minutes later, oh, you checked all the boxes with my aligned brand here of what I want in the marriage. So let's get married. And so when people say, well, that takes too long and too much money and too much time, I'll argue the opposite because throwing a bunch of spaghetti at the wall is a lot, is way more time and wasted resources. And if you look at the cult brands of our time, while we think they were overnight successes, they were not overnight successes. The infrastructure was built and it was built over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that you teach a course. So can you share, I know you sort of did a little plug about what you're doing now, but can you just share quickly about the course and how it came to be? Yes, I launched a course and I taught in, and I actually launched it across the EMBA, MBA and executive ed programs and the emeritus program at, at Kellogg, which was quite a feat. And, um, that was a huge plug out and shout out to Mohan Sani, the associate dean, who's truly, I should say, a legend and not just in our time, but of all time. And what he's done in the world of marketing worldwide is just incredible. And to have him back me was really the reason I was able to do and span across so many departments in such a controversial topic in a shorter period of time. Um, and so we teach it actually together. We teach the, the emeritus program is the only version that people can take without having to enroll and get into Kellogg. So it's an executive education online certificate course, the only emeritus course that is co-taught with two professors, some myself and Mohan. And we have guest lectures that are incredible CEOs of people from all over the world in it. That will live for a minimum of five years. And I actually had to make the decision to either stay with Kellogg or leave this year because I live in Austin and I've been commuting and I have had a vision to build out the Center for Influence, which is um, a massive undertaking, but I think it bridges the gap between not just business schools, but all faculties uh, and brands, because we're all brands, whether you're a doctor or an engineer, you have to know how to position yourself. And that's something that's not taught in school. So UT, I was teaching at UT as well. So I was going back and forth between UT and Kellogg and they were going to force my hand to choose one. And um, I was going to choose Kellogg and the dean at UT said, what is it that, you know, I know we're not Kellogg, but they're still one of the top five business schools in the US. So I showed them the plan and they made the offer with all, I added some bells and whistles to it. And I live in Austin. So they came through and I'm building out the center for influence, the global center for influence, which will be uh, the physical institute will be here at UT Austin, but we're going to have global partnerships all over the world. And so I'm really excited that I'll start in the fall, but again, I'll still do the emeritus program at Kellogg that'll live in that that will continue to live, but I just won't be teaching live. That's incredible. Wow. Kudos to you. How exciting. Um, Girl from North Bay. Okay, I know you have to go, but I have one more question. You, as I mentioned earlier, you're, I want to say triple threat, but I would say you're quadruple threat. You wear so many hats. You're an author, speaker, professor. You were a model. I don't know if you still are. You're gorgeous, so I'm sure. (laughs) YouTube star and, of course, influencer. So I might have missed some, but that's just what I have researched. Which one of those hats are you most proud of to be wearing and why? I would say it's a mix between entrepreneur and professor. And I think of them as the same thing a little bit because, and I never thought my dad was an elementary school teacher and I never ever thought that, like I used to think, God, 
for those who can't do teach. And after being an entrepreneur and learning that how much potential people have opportunity that they have, and they don't know, that's what it taught me that there's so much, there's too many times we don't go for things because we think it's so out of reach or above our status or that we have to do X, Y, Z first. I love, I forget who wrote the book, skip the line, but there's always a way. And that's what entrepreneurialism taught me. The partners I was, I managed to get the way I was able to scale it, the way I was able to sell it. That I was like, I never in a million years growing up with the limited knowledge that I had would have ever thought of myself in like, with a partner like this, or like name drop here, insert name there, the brand like this. And that taught me that if I can do it, and I'm not, I'm not any smarter than anyone else, that so many of these other kids can do it. And, and to be able to inspire that, and it sounds really cheesy, because I used to hate when people would be like, yeah, because you get more back than you give, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but um, I really have found that. And I have like this posse of especially young women that have graduated are from their MBAs, or, their, or even some of these senior undergraduates that I keep in touch with. And I have mentored them through most of them are usually like mini knees, like same aspiration. They want to move to New York. And I saw so I've got this whole posse that's like now in New York and Los Angeles that I've sort of chauffeured over that way. And I, you get, it's so rewarding. They keep me young they keep me excited. And it, it really is like to watch them. Like I, I'm proud of them. Like they're my children. Like some, of the things that some of them are doing. I'm like, God, I can't believe you're doing your ex at, at this company now. Like that's crazy. Oh, that's amazing. Well, I mean, you are so enthusiastic. I love your energy. It just oozes out of you. And you're obviously very, very passionate. It's not hard, you know, to see that and feel that. So thank you so much. It's been so great. The time is gone already. But I just want to really, Amanda, I, I appreciate you so much coming on here and sharing all that information. And hopefully you've helped some people. You know, you hear a lot about influencer and influencer marketing. And it's it's really more valuable, I think, than people actually realize. Transformational. When you yes. shift your thoughts and what it is, yeah. when it comes down to influence, every brand in order here is to, to, to leave you with this. It doesn't matter if you are trying to get a promotion, you're trying to pitch an idea, get an investment, scale your company. You have to be able to influence your audience and knowing what and who influences that audience and how to connect with them. Yeah. And build that trust that you mentioned is so important. So if people want to learn more about you, if they want to connect with you, you have a YouTube channel. Where else are you on social? No, What's the best way? Yeah, YouTube channel is dead. YouTube channel okay. is dead. Uh, LinkedIn is probably the best. And my website is amandarussell.co, not .com. And two S's and two L's in my uh, last name, which everyone gets wrong. So it's <laughs> There's also, you can get my book at theinfluencercode.com, which kind of walks you through it in, in, in my voice. It's not a textbook. It's kind of a fun, easy read, just something refreshing that I wanted in a world of boring academic books. I love that. Thank you so much for your time and your interest. It's been a pleasure and a privilege. And right back at you. Thank you. We'll stay in touch and we'll talk soon, hopefully. Sounds great. Bye. Bye. And there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate your support and I hope you enjoyed the conversation and maybe learned a few things to help you with your branding. This show is a work in progress, so please remember to rate and review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. And if you want help getting your audience to fall in love with your brand, please feel free to send me a private message on LinkedIn or Instagram under, you guessed it, Branding Badass. I promise you I reply to all my messages. Branding Matters was produced, edited, and hosted by Jolie Goodson. 
also me. So thanks again. And until next time, here's to all you badasses out there. 